Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in today's episode. I've got a great guest today, Dr. Patricia Harned. She's the Chief Executive Officer of the Ethics and Compliance Initiative. And the mission of the ECI is to empower organizations to build and sustain high-quality ethics and compliance programs. I brought her on the show because ethics is a big deal. And I think a lot of times when we look about doing the right thing, especially when no one's looking, Sounds easy in theory, but especially as you grow in an organization, how do you do that and how do you enforce ethics? Of course, I'm coming from a common sense perspective, um, but uh, Dr. Harned has some great insights on ethics and how we can continue to do the right thing, as we say. Um, And she's been featured in media outlets, including the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, USA Today, CNN. She's been a guest on Federal News Radio and the Diane Reem Show. And she was selected by Ethisphere Magazine as one of the 100 most influential people in business ethics in 2014 and 2015 and named one of the top 100 thought leaders in trustworthy business behavior in 2010 and 2011. Really enjoyed this conversation. I learned a lot and we'll hope you get some great nuggets for your leadership journey as well. Let me know what you think about this show. Let me know where you're at in your journey. Reach out to me at Richard at doseofleadership.com or go to my websites, doseofleadership.com and richardryerson.com and fill out the contact page and uh, let me know where you're at. I answer every single email and I love hearing where everybody is in their journey. And if I can be in any assistance or partake any advice, please let me know at those resources. Also, check out my Legacy Leader Blueprint course. You can find out more information at both of those websites, doseofleadership.com and richardryerson.com. It's a great resource if you're trying to up your game in the leadership spectrum. And again, you can learn more about the details there. All right, without further ado, here's a great conversation with Dr. Patricia Harned, the Chief Executive Officer of Ethics and Compliance Initiative here on Dose of Leadership. Dr. Harned, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So glad that you're here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, when I got the request to, for you to come on the show, I was excited because of um, this passion of culture and ethics is such a hot topic for me. Um, we were just talking before we started recording. You know, you heard my my background about the Marine Corps, and, and it's so integral to what I do in in both personally and professionally. How did you get? Uh, I'm curious how you got passionate about this idea of ethics and culture. It's a, it's a long and um, interesting story, but I'll give you the short version. <laughs> I had been working in the education arena for quite a while and was working in the university environment and was really frustrated by um, decisions that were made by university leaders whenever ethics issues would come up. They were always sort of um, legally minded and would steer clear of all the gray area problems that we had. And, and that led me, I had been interested in getting an advanced degree and uh, long story short, I started, I did my PhD looking at the influence of organizations on character development, um, mostly in adults, but at people at all ages. And when I came to the center where I am, it was, initially for the purpose of trying to start a character education program with outreach to schools. 
Um, but I wasn't here for very long before it just became evident to me that so much of what we try to do in helping people to live out their own personal values and to improve in their own commitment to integrity is very much related to what businesses have to do as well. So the majority of my working career has now been with this organization, but um, doing a lot of work with corporations and government agencies and nonprofit leaders to help them understand the importance of culture and the influence of leadership on just the integrity of their employees. So it's been a a really interesting journey for me. Yeah, it resonates with me when you said that frustration with, you know, not dealing with the gray areas and instead kind of relying on the kind of legalese or the policy. I totally get that. I, I can see, and I think that's in large measure why um, I do what I do and I do this show. I, I completely get that. Why do you think it's so difficult for us as individuals, as human beings and organizations in particular to um, try to um, influence the culture? Because I think a lot, we, we hear words like culture and leadership and, and I think a lot, of, I, you know, a lot of times people just gloss over. They want to have a good culture, but they don't know how to get there. I mean, the, the reality is we have a culture, whether we like it or not. It's so determined, you know, how, how do you want to shape it? But, but why do we, why do we avoid, avoid those gray areas? Do you think? I think because, in part because it's hard and <laughs> well, also, especially in the business environment, there's so much pressure to focus on strategy, organizational growth, um, you know, making financial goals, achieving the bottom line results. And that can so pervade the way you think that the things that get sort of lost in the day are matters of workplace environment and culture and messages you're sending to employees. And and when people raise concerns, it's really easy, I think, as a leader, I, I suffer from this myself, it's really easy to just dismiss it as another HR issue or another right. employee who's got a problem and you sort of triage it, but you don't necessarily think about the longer term implications of that. I, I think that that is the, the real reason why it's, it's not... Everybody does agree that we want good workplace cultures, but it, it takes a concerted effort. It takes a, a shared commitment, especially at the top of an organization. And that just takes a ton of work. It does. It takes a, t- a tremendous amount of intentionality. And I, and I agree with what you said. I, I guess, and, and maybe it's because I've just had so many of these conversations and it's ingrained in me, And but I try to remove myself and see my put myself in other people's shoes. But why does it why is, does it have to be mutually exclusive or at least the perception of, of this exclusivity of, well, to make a profit, we have to be unethical? Because to me, it seems to, the, the way to real significance and real profits and, real, and a real legacy is the focus on the people. I mean, that just seems like common sense to me now. But uh, does that make sense? Why does it have to, Why do we have to feel like it's mutually exclusive that to be a profitable company that we have to... Um, stomp on people, step on people's backs, or even, you know, push the border of ethics? It's a great question. I, I don't know whether I, I, I do think that there is um, something about that, that focus, that set of priorities that does make you automatically sort of push to the bottom of the list or lower down in the list, the need to be 
talking with employees about how you want them to actually go about doing the job. I think it comes with the pressure to perform and pressure to succeed. And and a lot of the research that our center has done has shown that unless a leader is very overt, almost has their own little PR, personal PR campaign to be talking about integrity while they're talking with employees about what they want them to do. If, if they don't do those things, if they don't send those messages, employees will automatically begin to think that that's less important than achieving the end goal. Right. So it, it almost has to be a message that's baked in with, here is the goal we're setting out for ourselves as a business. We want to make money. We want to be successful. We want to grow. We want to have a global impact. And we want to do it with integrity. And I think that the more pressured an organization becomes, the more that latter part just gets dropped off the message and then it gets misinterpreted as it goes throughout the organization. Yeah, I think you're spot on on that analysis. You're absolutely right. And it goes and it begs to the question, you know, kind of answers my first question is like, why is it so, you know, why don't we do it? Because it is hard. It is hard to, to, to maintain that, um, not only to communicate that, at the same time is like, hey, we're in the business to make a profit. This is what we're trying to do. At the same time, this is how we're going to do it with, you know, integrity and, and all this. And this is our culture. This is what we stand for. It takes a lot of work to get there. And I think that to, to add to that is that we, we need with that pressure, we need results now. And the, the reality is to kind of um, continually communicate and to, to, to invest in people to kind of sacrifice your life so others may grow takes a tremendous amount of time and, and a lot of times you don't see those results for a long time and you've got the pressures of reality of, of making a profit. And so that's where the shortcuts come in probably. I, I would agree with that. And I think you can walk into a CEO's office where they really have spent time thinking about their own character and their leadership and the kind of legacy they want to have with the organization and the level of integrity they want that company to operate with. And you know within minutes that you're in the presence of somebody who's really done that thinking. Right. And because it comes out in how they talk to their employees, in how they treat the employees who report to them, in how they set their priorities. They use words like integrity, stewardship, respect, responsibility. Um, it's just a part of it. It just is a natural part of the way they work. And I think it's because they make a habit of it and they, they really, it just becomes part of their thinking. Mm -hmm. And, and then if you walk into a CEO's office who hasn't done that thinking, especially in an, or in an environment or a, a market that's highly pressurized, you hear them talking about achievement objectives. Um, and it's not that they're bad people, but it's that when the employees throughout the organization hear those messages, they don't perceive that the leader cares about integrity. It's more like get it done by any means necessary. Right. And it goes back to this whole idea of, of why it's important to have a strong culture and the difficulty of, of getting to that point, because you could certainly have an offsite and come up with your, you know, six to eight core values and put them on an eight and a half piece of paper in a nice frame and put it in the hallway. And if that's all you do with it, nothing's going to change. There has to be a level of authenticity and action uh, back backed up behind what you're doing. And it's almost like every decision, no matter how 
innocuous it may seem, how small, you know, where do we buy our office supplies from to the big strategic decisions, all all those decisions have to be put up against that litmus, against those six, eight, ten core values that you got hanging in your hole. And man, that's a lot of work. I, I agree with you. We, it all begins with having a set of stated core values that the organization holds as most important to guide decisions and behaviors, and it basically governs how we want to work with each other. But we've we've done a lot of research around workplace ethics and the importance of leadership and tone at the top. And one of the things that we found is that when an organization has a code of conduct, but it's just a poster on the wall, they don't talk about it, they Mm -hmm. don't encourage it, they don't reward it, they don't enforce violations of it, it's actually worse than not having values at all. Because people see those core values and say, what a bunch of hypocrites, or it doesn't really matter here. So yeah, you have to have them, but you also have to really commit to them um, and find ways to integrate them into your conversations and your expectations of employees about What does it mean to really live out these values? Spot on. I can't agree even more. You know, one thing where I saw a a failure of this, uh, even when I was in the the military, um, and it's – I'm curious on your thoughts on this, but let's even go back to the tailhook scandal in the early – when was that? In the early 90s? And so that was about the time that I became an officer uh, in the flying. So obviously – wow, what is our culture? What do we stand for? But then the response to that was this almost kind of legalese, um, you know, the, I don't know if you remember the the sexual harassment training from the nineties, but it was so painful. Um, uh, it was almost like if we just have our people watch these videos, then everything will be fixed. Right. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And instead of kind of, of standing up, you know, uh, and maybe they did do, and maybe I'm speaking out of turn on this, you know, a top to bottom, you know, what is it we stand for? Is this what we really stand for? Uh, you know, in terms of the sexual harassment thing, but it's almost like, it's just this like, Oh, the way to solve it is hire this company to make these kind of stock corny videos and f- kind of force this down. But at the same time, it's not backed up with, with a real change in the culture. Does that make sense? I know I'm kind of rambling there, but it just, I remember it seemed like a, at the time going through it, it seemed like a failure to me, if that makes sense. It, it does make sense. And first of all, thank you for your service. You know, I, I have great admiration and respect for the folks in our military for what they do for us every day. And I don't think that we appreciate them enough. Um, and, and the other thing I'll, I'll offer as an observation is that just having my background coming up through the character education, character development world the military academies and the military itself, they're among the best in helping people to know what are our core values and how do they relate to how we do the work that we do. Some of the best thinking and educational efforts have come out of the military. And yet you're right, there have been these really terrible scandals that that they've faced and and still are happening today. You know, you referenced Tailhook, but even in the last couple of years, there have been continuing reports about yeah. sexual assaults in the military mm-hmm. and a retaliation problem, re- reporting problems and retaliation problems. I've actually participated a couple of times as a, a trainer in the SHARP summits, the sexual harassment programs that still continue. Um, and again, to their credit, I think DOD has really made a concerted effort to try to get their arms around 
if we're really great at communicating values, why do we have this big disconnect in behavior? What right. is it that is causing that? Right. Um, but you're right. Training is never enough. And it comes from, you know, the solutions to these problems come from examples of leadership, but it also comes from um, immediate supervisors, commanding officers who are not only modeling the conduct that they're expecting, but they're they're stepping in and holding people accountable when they right. become aware of the problems that happen. And I think one of the phenomenon phenomena that if we've seen in the military is that when there's somebody who is accused of wrongdoing, it's the nature of the unit, um, the teamwork, the camaraderie. It the immediate reaction is to band together and not necessarily address the real issue. So, so there's a lot of, you know, women who have had problems and this is not true. I mean, it's true not only for the military, but in corporate workplaces as well. We've seen some real stories lately in Uber and other places where there's sexual harassment, Fox news, women are struggling because they're in, they're encountering these, terrible workplace environments and challenges. And, and there's, it's hard to be heard because the natural tendency is to either downplay the problem, stand up for your peers, you know, band together as brothers. And that, that makes for some real challenges. The problem doesn't go away until you address those things. Yeah. And and I think what you hit on a couple of things that I think the solution to all those type of things are, and again, it goes back to the culture piece, but it's the accountability piece that always seems to be missing. And I think that's where, and I guess what I was trying to say, even the in, in, in tailhook is in, in the kind of the sexual harassment policies and the videos that came out that I thought kind of missed the mark because it wasn't dealing with the accountability piece. It was dealing with the compliance piece, right? And we're thinking that if, if the compliance piece only without the, without the, uh, of, associated accountability, then you're always going to miss the mark. And I think a lot of times we, in the absence of, of a true culture and a true accountable, um, or a culture that, that rewards accountability or holds people accountable. And the absence of that is this over-reliance on rules and regulations. I mean, I think that United example that happened earlier this summer is, is a classic case of where, you know, you have people when in the absence of a culture, you rely on policy and procedure. And that's where you lose the human connection. Because in the example of like United, um, well, my policies and I'm rewarded for, you know, closing the gate or getting these people, you know, and the common sense loses because we don't know as an organization, as a large organization with 100,000 employees, what we stand for as an airline. Does that make sense? Mm hmm. I, yes, I think so. And there's a couple pieces to that. If there tends to be a, a thinking in a lot of organizations that if we tell people, if you overstep the violations, we will hold you accountable or we won't tolerate retaliation, that if you've sent that, me sent that message, you've done enough. And the truth is, it's like we were talking about earlier. If you have a code of conduct on the wall and you don't live it out, it's worse than actually not having a code. Same is true for saying things like we we will hold you accountable and then not really helping people to see how you're actually doing that. Right. Um, I mean, I think a lot of organizations are taking steps. They follow up on reports. They're doing investigations. They're taking action. 
But unless you're finding ways to help employees understand that that's happening, they perceive, they think that it's not. Um, and, and another thing that you said that I thought was really insightful is that another piece about culture is employees own feeling that they care about this workplace. They're loyal to it. They're proud of the being a part of the organization. And so therefore they're going to uphold the standards of the organization simply because they want to see it succeed. And that, that gets lost if you don't help people to feel like they're a part of a culture where these things are really prized and where folks who overstep will be held accountable. Yeah. I love what you said there. I mean, I think a lot of and this is what frustrates me about ethics and accountability in, in the workplace. I had a great mentor that said he had two rules. It says, treat everyone with respect, tolerate disrespect from nobody, and it's not your right to challenge me. It's your obligation. And it, to me, it's like those kind of two rules, so much of what we try to accomplish, and it seems what, you, what, what um, the Ethics and Compliance Initiative really stands for, to me is almost buttoned up in those, in those two areas. What are your thoughts on that? I completely agree with you. And and most of, if if I were to boil down what we spend a lot of time doing research around and training programs and resource development, I mean, it really, for us, the, the key is having a leadership commitment to trying to build a workplace where, first of all, you come into the office every day assuming you've got a base of employees who are good people with right. good values Amen. who want to work in good environments. And you're essentially, your job is to help them do that. It's more of a support function than it is a, let me tell you how you should live your lives. Um, but the other thing that that's really critically important is creating an environment where people are empowered to raise concerns if they have them. If you don't have that, you are going to have problems take place that you'll never know about because employees stay silent and let them perpetuate. So it is, it kind of, what we've been talking about might seem like it's a complicated thing to undertake, but it's really very simple at the end of the day. Yeah, very simple to understand and well stated what you said that there, and I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it, you know, it, again, the mindset of coming in, hey, I'm assuming the best of these people, they want to, they all want to matter. They all want to know that, that they were here on this planet and what they did was meaningful. Um, knowing that people want to come from that place, knowing that they, they want to be part of something bigger than themselves, because when they feel that way, that's where they're engaged. And then to make sure that with that authenticity that we talked about, that they have the, the, the freedom or they feel safe enough to be able to speak out, right? It's not your right to challenge me. It's your right. obligation. I mean, we were talking before the show. I mean, that's what I, the biggest lesson I learned about flying planes. You have to have that in that cockpit. You know, it's amazing how inside a cockpit, um, up on the flight deck, you can be sitting, you know, two f feet from somebody. You can have these communication walls where, you know, people don't talk. And, and there's hundreds of accidents where that's, you know, that's happened because of that communication barrier. And so I think that, you know, mm. that to have this, this freedom to, it goes both ways, right? I mean, if, if, if I work for you and I don't like what you're doing, it's, man, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to tell Dr. Harned that you're about to crash into the wall here. I mean, what do I know? I've been here six months and Dr. Harned is about to crash in the wall. And if I speak up, 
that's step one, but then step two, your obligation as the receiver of that, you know, how do you respond to what I, to, to the new guy telling you that you're about to crash into the wall? You know, and that's a great opportunity. Right. That's a great yeah. opportunity for leaders to change the culture. Because if you go to me, oh my God, Richard, thank you so much. I, I didn't see that wall coming. What happens to me? I see you as a human being and I feel totally empowered. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to, I do matter in this organization, right? I just, oh, I right. wish people would see that more, more and more. I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's counterintuitive, but when an employee comes to you and says, Pat, I think there, there are some things that you could be doing differently that would really help us. Um, your first reaction is to say, is to be defensive right. and to think poorly of the person who's come to you. But it's actually one of the highest compliments you can get is an employee Absolutely. who's able to come in and sit down in front of you and offer you feedback that you didn't want to hear and to help because it comes from a spirit of wanting to make the place work more efficiently with a higher standard of integrity. And all of the research that we've done that looks at the drivers of culture in an organization, it's really two things. It's the tone coming from the top, the senior leadership, how they communicate. But the other really influential person is your immediate supervisor, how they handle feedback, the way they talk about and reinforce what's coming from the higher parts of the organization makes all the difference in the world. So Anybody who's managing an employee is an important part of building a strong culture. Well said. You know, you've been a, in a part and worked on some very high-profile cases, with, you know, uh, BP, British Petroleum, the Sandusky issue at Penn State, uh, Wells Fargo. Well, I mean, what have you learned from those high-profile cases? The work that we do is usually, and in, in those instances, um, has been following problems that have happened when leadership is um, trying to get their arms around what has happened, um, and more importantly, trying to focus on what do we do differently so that we don't have this happen again. Um, so the work that we've done has really been to do culture assessments or to talk with employees in, at BP. We've done a lot of listening of, to employees about the values of the organization and how they're living them out and challenges that they face in trying to uphold the standards of the organization. Um, and, and so certainly for us, it's a great learning experience as much as it is for the leaders in the organizations. I think um, most of the time, these kinds of problems, they really are eye-opening for leadership. They they sudden they start to really realize their own impact. Um, but but again, to what we were talking about earlier, probably the greatest thing that they learn is that it's so critically important to provide opportunities, multiple channels for people to be able to come forward and ask questions to raise to offer negative feedback, even to raise good ideas, but also to raise concerns. Um, so all of the th principles we've been talking about today have been the lessons learned in, in those organizations. Um, and I think they're better off for it. Their leadership today has been in both Penn State at BP. They've been very public to say, 
wouldn't don't want to go through what we've been through again, but certainly we've learned a lot. We've put systems in place and we're better for it and stronger as an organization because of it. Yeah, I think it's what is your take on and I don't your perspective on maybe the kind of the media culture. I think a lot of times when these large organizations and they do something wrong, like the oil spill or I mean, Sandusky case, not maybe not so much because it's, but I mean, this, the human tendency to, to, to hide it from the, the kind of poisonous media culture, you know, obviously the, to me, the remedy is like when something like it happens, just get out in front of it and be completely authentic and honest and rip the bandaid off. I mean, but as human nature is, you know, we, we try to minimize the, in our mind, control the, the, the damage flow or whatever. But I guess my specific question is, how do you think what I think the more poisonous media culture, particularly in the last 10 years, seems to be more gotcha type of, um, particularly with social media and all the channels that we have, how much does that play into ethics and compliance in business today? I, it has a huge influence. Um, 10 years ago, I, I've been in this field for a long time, and 10 years ago, we weren't, we were always talking about reput corporate reputation and the importance of it in maintaining stakeholder base. But the conversation about reputational risk is on a whole new level today. And it's because of the influence of the media, scrutiny of the media, um, but also social media. Now, any in any given moment, a single employee can post to Instagram or send a tweet and and do a lot of harm to the organization, especially if the what they are saying gets picked up by the larger media cycle. Um, and I think the other big challenge is that when problems happen, I mean, I've certainly seen lots of instances like the ones we've been talking about, like Penn State, and even um, we're not working directly with Wells Fargo in this challenge that they're facing right now, but in following the stories of their leadership, the actions that they're taking, even BP, they've all done amazingly hard work to understand the root cause, to fix the problems, to address the culture, to move forward, and yet... Every time there's a story about those organizations in providing the background, it's like we have to dig up the dirt again. So it 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 the the implication is that you have a big enough problem, you're going to be living with it for a very long time because we are a very as a culture. It's like what slowing down when you pass a, yeah, a we car were. accident. We're just drawn to the. The negative stories. We are. We like to see people suffer, actually. I mean, at the same time, we're forgiving, I think, if, if you're, again, authentic and open and honest about it, as painful as it may seem at the time. I do think um, if you – and I think that is the solution to all these things. Authenticity, vulnerability, and courage is a great remedy, antidote, or at least a um, currency to, to pay – um, to deal with what we're talking about here. I don't know. I, it, it, there's no other way, I don't think. I, I agree with that. And, and uh, just an incident that comes to mind is GM and their ignition switch problem. Right, yeah. Certainly that was a series of decisions over a very long period of time where, um, you know, there were catastrophic outcomes because of some of the choices that the company made. And yet when when it really started to become a, 
a real public accountability issue. Their CEO was authentic and honest and apologetic and transparent about the things the company was doing, the steps that they're taking. And certainly they're being held accountable. Um, they are they are they pay a big price for things that have happened. But most of the public media, when you look at the stories of of Mary Barra and how she responded, she has they they acknowledged that she was honest and and didn't doubt her character and her integrity and in what she was saying. So you're right. There's a there's it's advantageous, especially in this environment, to own up to problems that have happened as soon as they happen. Um, but you also have to take into account that. There are lots of legal issues involved too, and anytime there are investigations, and so right. it's it's tricky business for a company to figure out how do we accept responsibility responsibly, um, but not but it is very important to do it. Yeah, why did Uber fail? Or in this not not as a financially, but why are they struggling culturally? Of course, everything, my entire perspective of Uber comes from reading this, all the same news stories that the rest of the public reads. I don't have any further insight into what has happened in that company. But my take of it is that, you know, a very successful startup company, when you're a new company and you're lean and mean and trying to get move your, moving quickly, there's a certain sort of way you go about doing business. I think as as Uber has grown, the culture hasn't grown with it, and the thinking about how they act and how they treat each other hasn't hasn't changed with it. So, I think that that's been a big a big factor in why they're now facing some real problems. So, what's the solution? Do you think? I mean, how do they turn it around? I. I I do think that if you look at some of the the reports about um, the independent investigation that was done by Eric Holder and his law firm, um, he's a terrific. Uh, he he's been an, actually a big champion of ethics and compliance over the years, and certainly um, is is very thorough and competent in what he does. His report, though, to Uber focused mostly on probably because this was his mandate how to deal with issues of harassment, how to focus on some of the compliance issues that have, have taken place. And what the company seems to be prioritizing right now is matters of diversity, um, trying to change the workplace with respect to their attitudes about folks of different cultures and backgrounds and also gender differences. But they're not thinking more broadly about Overall, beyond those kinds of things that have happened in this organization, what kind of workplace do we want to be? What are our standards for um, our standards for integrity? How do we want to roll out a program, a, a broader ethics and compliance program that has a much bigger perspective? Well, as we wrap up here, um, how can people learn more about the ethics? and compliance initiative, where you do, how they get, get in touch with you, and, and maybe how you can help them? The best way to learn more about our organization, it's very simple, is to visit our website. The URL is www.ethics.org. Um, and on that site, you can learn about 
You can access some of the research that we've done. You can access archives of some of our webcasts. You can learn about membership in our organization. Um, and we have a number of events and conferences on, focusing on these kinds of topics. Um, in fact, in the fall, we're hosting an event on, it's called a best practice forum that's focused wholly on speak up, listen up cultures. Um, so it's open to anybody that wants to come and just visit our website and you can learn more. Well, Pat, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I mean, I love your kind of com- your common sense approach to this. You're, you're definitely a leader in this, this aspect, in this area, um, particularly when it comes to ethics and compliance. You hear those words and it, you start thinking about rules, regulations and process and law and all this other stuff. And it, and, and it can get kind of scary. But uh, with someone like you at the helm leading it with this common sense approach and, and the emphasis on at the base leadership, um, I love what you're doing and, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I certainly, I enjoyed the conversation and, and I have great respect for the work that you're doing as well. I appreciate it. Pat, thank you so much. And, and uh, we'll talk soon. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Go to richardryerson.com or doseofleadership.com and fill out the contact page and reach out to me. Let me know where you're at your leadership journey. Also, if you want access to my brand new online leadership course to help become a better leader, go to legacyleaderblueprint.com. Fill out your email and you gain access to a free 12-minute video that will reveal the top secrets of leadership and also show you how you can gain access, exclusive access, to my online leadership course. That's LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Hope to see you on the inside. Thanks for tuning into the show.